one representative of the family go to the gravesite to do it. The rest could watch from the safety of their homes via video conference. And then we arrive at the far end of that spectrum I mentioned earlier. I'm talking about the most digital option of them all. Call it e-worship if you like. People like Sam's grandmother might find this a bit horrifying to think about. For her, it's going in person and doing things the proper way that counts. Sam expects that as time goes on, new digital customs like this one will gain wider and wider acceptance. The core of a very old tradition is preserved. But as Sam's mother says, bokimboki, no traditional rules or taboos. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Hello there. You've just tuned into In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Today, my guest is Charles Du, who is a NASA engineer turned yoga teacher. He's from Beijing. Um, but he said that when he was nine years old, he moved to the States with uh, his parents. And uh, he studied uh, aerospace engineering at the uh, University of Michigan, it was. But anyway, um, he's been around the world. Um, I've just jumped a big jump here <laughs> because um, he's done a lot of things. And uh, um, the thing is that grow or growth is a big word. It's a very important word to him. So well, anyway, let's first um, say hello to Charles. Hi, Charles. Hi, Shirley. Hi, everybody that's listening. <laughs> right. Anyway, so what's this thing with grow, you know, or growth? And um, you're a yoga teacher. Well, it's all really interrelated. So you take it off from here. Yeah. So I think growing myself is um, one of the things that I think a lot about. Um, I believe that every day we're changing. And we're either growing or we're dying. Now, once we acknowledge the fact that we're changing and we're either growing or, or dying, then I think through strong intention and practice, we can kind of focus on the area that we want to grow. Now, I think a lot of people talk about how, oh, of course, you know, I want to grow. But I think about how much people actually invest in their growth um, because I think there's an art and the technique uh, to it. Reading up on you, there's a lot of things that I've never come across, especially like this growth thing, you know, that you want to help people to grow themselves as well as yourself and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, how did you get to this point? Are you a very philosophical person or, or what growing up? <laughs> yeah, I think um, two events woke me up and then set my path down to just being growth oriented. Uh, the first event was experiencing Burning Man uh, a few years ago. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Burning Man, Shirley. No. Okay, so it's basically this uh, crazy festival um, in the middle of the desert in Nevada. It happens once a year. And once a year, around 80,000 people from all over the world gets together and they build a temporary city and a temporary community. So I was fortunate uh, enough to attend four of these um, temporary community uh, festival events. And the second time that I went, I had this period of growth. 
um, I was in my late 20s and I can still remember. So this festival runs for, for 10 days. Um, and during these 10 days, people kind of build different camps and they have lots of different workshops. Um, and then there's no money being exchanged. So basically, it's like an open and very free environment where you can kind of learn or experience whatever you kind of wanted. It's kind of like uh, adult camp for 80,000 people around the world in the middle of the desert. But first of all, um, how do you apply for this? I mean, do you apply it just like that? Or yeah, how do you get involved? Yeah, so they sell tickets. And um, in order to get picked for a ticket, uh, you go into a lottery because every single time the tickets always sell out. So I went to this 10-day festival, and then uh, at the end of the festival, um, or during the festival, I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so many new ideas. My mind was just like, it was, it was flashing, and I, I can still remember, like, it was a certain feeling, and it was a feeling of growth. The interesting thing is, after I left that festival, uh, that feeling kind of stopped. So during that festival, I had this feeling of a growth spurt. And then when that happened to me, I was like, man, that felt really good. You know, I, I feel like um, I had lots of new ideas. I have lots of new perspectives on love, on, on the world, on, on growth. I want to get that feeling again. So that was the first event where I had a feeling of growth. Mm. Um, and what does that have to do with Burning Man? <laughs> well, I think Burning So this is a great point. Um, so later on, I was like, all right, how can I get that feeling back? What was so unique about Burning Man that kind of gave me that feeling? And then that's when I had my first epiphany, which was, it was the environment. Oh. You know, it was the fact that I was in the middle of the desert. I was in a strange new world. And I was surrounded by people who were all very open, very willing to share. And... I just had so many interesting conversations. So something about that environment just made me grow naturally and put me into the state of growth. So that festival was called Burning Man? Yeah, it's called Burning Man. Wow. Yeah. So you weren't the only person who experienced that no. spread of growth, right? Yeah. So this festival attracts a lot of really famous people like um, really? Larry Page, Sergey Brin, the founders of Google. Uh-huh. Uh, they often tend... Um, when I went my fourth burn, I saw Elon Musk. Fourth burn, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you get to talk to him? I didn't get to talk to him. Um, I, I kind of respect his privacy, and I just noticed him, <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, that's Elon Musk," and he was also there with his uh, wife at the time. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So a lot of Silicon Valleyers often go to Burning Man because they m- may have experienced the same growth that I have. Yeah, that is so cool. So. So after you came away from four times of Burning Man event, then you you had some idea about entrepreneurship or something? Yeah. So that brings me to my second epiphany. So I had two epiphanies and two events. The first one was going to Burning Man. The second one was, you know, a few years later, um, I was working in Los Angeles at the time and I was working for this billionaire. Um, uh, He had like uh, 32 different companies and I was working for one of them. I was making six figures um, I was living in this really nice place in Santa Monica. How did you get the job? Applied? Interviewed, yeah, applied. I was there for two years. I loved my boss. I, I thought, you know, that was like the dream job, you know. And then one day something happened that would kind of change my life. Um, so that company went through a layoff event. I won't get into the details why the layoff happened, um, but the result was it was a lot of my coworkers got laid off mm-hmm. and my boss eventually left and uh, he quit. And I was like, what? 
my job is still safe. You know, I, I'm still making a lot of money. Um, it wasn't too demanding. I had this great environment. So why wasn't I getting that feeling of growth? And then at that point, I realized, okay, number one, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm really sad. And every single day, the conversations are around who's going to get laid off next. Oh. And number two, I wasn't in control of my environment. And I realized that having worked in lots of different companies, that if I ever want to be in charge of my own growth path in my own growth direction, it will never align with the growth path of a company uh, long term. Um, because once a company is formed, it's said in the articles of incorporation that the purpose of a company is to bring value to the shareholders, not to grow the individual employees. Yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> yeah. And then in the past, having started a couple of my own companies, I realized, you know, if I ever want to be in charge of my own growth, if I ever want to recreate that feeling of a growth spurt, then I need to set off on my own and then build my own business. Hmm. Um, so at that point, I decided, okay, what can I do with the skills and the experiences that I have? And I went through this brainstorming session and then eventually I found something and that's what led me to where I am today. Um, so those two events set me down a path of growth, set me down a path of traveling around the world and eventually led me here to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Okay, so how do you you start off not thinking about how you're going to make money out of this? Yeah, so at that time when the layoff happened, I I said, okay, what can I do um, to kind of create something uh, that can make sustainable income and then place growth on my own terms? Oh, okay. And I realized, okay, number one, I need a freedom to kind of grow on my own terms. And this meant freedom of location, meaning that I can live and work anywhere in the world. So the business had to be uh, online or remote. Uh, and two, I had to have a freedom of time. So in order for me to grow um, in the area that I want, I have to just be free to like spend whatever time doing whatever I want. Um, so those two eventually led me to an idea of creating an online education business because I'm super passionate about education. Uh, and at that time, there were there, the demand for online courses was rising. Yes. Um, so I ended up creating um, an online course uh, that basically taught people software product management, which was what I did for my early career. Like I designed a lot of uh, different technology products that were pretty successful. It won a bunch of awards. So I was like, well, I can teach this to people. Uh, and I can teach it in a way that you know, reaches people internationally. And then that eventually led to uh, me making sustainable income. Um, so that, that was my business. That's my business right now. And it started off as a one man business and it still is. It still is. Because one of the reasons I realized is like, you know, I've worked in startup companies where I'm the CEO and I have a team. But once you have a team, you have to manage the team. It's yes. like being a parent, I'd imagine. Like once you have children, you kind of have to, uh, be in charge of their growth. Uh, so at this time, um, I feel like I can still get the most amount of growth being my own boss. And technology has evolved to a point where lots of these tools uh, could be leveraged to do amazing things. So I could be the designer, I could be the marketing person, I can be the product person, I can be the person creating content. And all of this 
just kind of all fit together. And I get efficiencies by being my own team because I never have to wait on anyone. I can just work on whatever things important. And there are times where I don't feel like working. So if the business starts to become self-sustaining, um, and this model fortunately is, I can decide to take a few months off and just get into a training that I really wanted or live in a different part of the world for, for a month. And mm. I had that freedom. Well, it sounds like you have to be a very disciplined person, even though you don't have a nine to five job, but you have to make it look like you have a nine to five job to be disciplined and focused, like at work. Otherwise, you can just go lazy. You mean work from work off home, right? You yeah. do, all you have to have to is just a laptop, and then you can just do what you need to do. Yeah, I think um, productivity is definitely a challenge, mm-hmm. and I realized through experience that one of the things that helps me be productive is having an environment of other people being productive. Um, for example, um, right now I work uh, out of a co-working space filled with other entrepreneurs, companies. And once I get into that environment, just the social energy and the social pressure makes me feel like I want to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one hack that I discovered that really helps motivate me when I don't have a boss. Mm. is to be in a social environment of other people working. And the second thing that I realized is after I find something that I feel so connected to, and if I have a mission that's so clear, like right now the the expertise I want to share with the rest of the world is so clear, um, it, I have this internal drive. And every day, like I wake up at five o'clock in the morning, like can't wait to just do more of this. You know, um, and I, I think that internal drive also kind of motivates me. And when I have that internal drive um, to work on my current passion project, that's also um, eventually can lead to a sustainable business. The discipline just melts away because I don't need discipline to tell me that I'm working on something that I love already that's going to change the world. Now, what's all this thing about yoga? How did that come in? I mean, you had a job, uh, a good engineering job at NASA. How long was that, by the way? Two years. Okay. Yeah. And then you got restless. <laughs> uh, kind of. Uh, I actually got fired. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I actually, um, through my career, there's been many times where I got fired and there's been many times where I quit. And then eventually I realized, okay, this is what, what I'm meant to do. Um, and not a lot of people know this, but when I was working at NASA, it was two years at two different NASA centers. At the first NASA center, I started off being an orbit engineer. And it sounds really cool, yeah. but for me, it ended up being just working in a windowless cubicle doing math models. Oh. And because I didn't have the passion for it, my work showed, and my manager eventually fired me after nine months. Okay. Uh, and then when that happened, you know, I was really depressed. But then some of the side work that I did at the time was around education. And the person I did work for, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to you. Let me talk to some people. <laughs> this guy, his name was Tom. And... Tom pretty much saved my career because can you imagine like, you know, starting off at your dream job and then getting fired after nine months from your yeah, dream job? That's um, true. So then after that referral, I got another job at a different NASA center, this time in Silicon Valley. And then for them, I was working directly under the CIO. So at that environment, I had a lot of freedom over what I thought was interesting, what was impactful. And I ended up designing NASA's first iPhone app. NASA's first iPhone app? Well, tune in next week to find out what all that is about and see if he got to keep that job at NASA. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. 
Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to be hearing two poems from the great Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai, and also two poems from Du Fu. Both very famous poets from the Tang Dynasty. This poem from Li Bai is called "On Hearing Jun, the Buddhist Monk, from Shu, Play His Lute." The monk from Shu, with his green silk lute case, walking west down Omei Mountain. Has brought me by one touch of the strings, the breath of pines in a thousand valleys. I hear him in the cleansing brook. I hear him in the icy bells. Feel no change, though the mountain darken, and cloudy autumn heaps the sky. Levi also writes about thoughts of old time, from a night mooring. Under Mount Nuzu, this night to the west of the river brim, there is not one cloud in the whole blue sky. As I watch from my deck. The autumn moon, vainly remembering old General Xie. I have poems I can read. He heard others, but not mine. Tomorrow, I shall hoist my sail with fallen maple leaves behind me. Talks about on a moonlit night. Far off, 
in Pudo, she is watching the moonlight, watching it alone from the window of her chamber. For our boy and girl, poor little babes, are too young to know where the capital is. Her cloudy hair is sweet with mist. Her jade-white shoulder is cold in the moon. When shall we lie again with no more tears watching this bright light on our screen? And here Du Fu writes about a spring view. Though a country be sundered, hills and rivers endure, and spring comes green again to trees and grasses, where petals have been shed like tears, and lonely birds have sung their grief. After the war fires of three months, one message from home is worth a ton of gold. I stroke my white hair. It has grown too thin to hold the hairpins anymore. Those are some of the most famous poems from Li Bai and Du Fu, two of the most famous poets of the Tang Dynasty. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to the News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Today, we will continue focusing on the COVID-19 pandemic. Since the outbreak began in Wuhan, China last December, the respiratory illness has been spreading rapidly around the world. The disease has killed more than 81,000 people and infected over 1.4 million people worldwide. A spate of COVID-19 cases brought in from overseas has quickly driven up the number of active cases in Taiwan over the past few weeks. Most of the new patients are young people returning from study in other parts of the world. 
At Taiwan's airports these days, one of the few signs of life are the young Taiwanese students that have been passing through in large numbers. They're coming home after the COVID-19 pandemic put their study abroad programs on hiatus. And with their full protective gear, they make for quite an eye-catching sight. They are right to be careful. A large number of the most recent COVID-19 cases in Taiwan are people under 40 who recently returned from abroad. These young people have less to worry about than most when it comes to COVID-19. They sometimes develop only mild symptoms or show no signs of illness at all. The trouble, experts say, is that they can still contract the disease and pass it on to others, often older people, for whom COVID-19 can be a serious matter indeed. Professor Zhou Yingzhen of National Yangming University is one of these experts. Professor Zhou says young people's active social lives means more potential exposure, and the fact that many of Taiwan's young people live with parents or old relatives means there are many vulnerable people living alongside them. Experts therefore recommend that young people stay away from gatherings and avoid becoming silent transmitters of a global pandemic. Shirley Lin, RTI News. In our previous program, we mentioned that COVID-19 outbreak has spurred renewed interest in domestic tourism site. But while popular tourist sites in the southern city of Tainan remain open to visitors, local authorities are taking precautionary measures to keep visitors safe. They are also working to make sure they can easily track who visited what site when, just in case any visitors do get sick. Once served as Taiwan's capital, Tainan is home to many historical sites. With COVID-19 in the air, though, visitors to the places must have the temperature taken and disinfect their hands before being allowed inside. Starting April 1st, they must also fill out a form with their personal information. This way, if someone recently sightseeing in town gets sick, health authorities can determine who else may have been near them at the time. Some visitors find the new policy troublesome, but they are more than willing to comply for the sake of stopping COVID-19. Outdoor sites are taking precautions too. Tainan's Meiling Scenic Area is a popular spot for watching fireflies around this time of year. But this year, the number of visitors is being limited. People hoping to visit must register online ahead of time. Visiting times are being restricted, with visitors assigned a time slot. The hope is that limiting visitor numbers will lower the risk that the scenic area could become a site for the transmission of COVID-19. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Taiwan has so far managed to keep COVID-19 in check without resorting to measures like the lockdowns seen in some other parts of the world. But allowing life to go on as normal doesn't mean allowing life to go on exactly as it did before the pandemic began. So far, Taiwan's measures to fight COVID-19 have worked. But starting Thursday, Taiwan will face a new challenge, the first major holiday since the outbreak arrived here. The Tomb Sweeping Festival sees heavy traffic each year, Crowds this time around are expected to be half their usual size. But highway rest stops are still packed, and they're not taking any chances. At the Qingshui Highway Rest Area in Taichung, both entrances are equipped with temperature scanners. The rest stop's manager says that masks aren't yet mandatory, but they will be starting Thursday. Of course, you can't eat with a mask on, and so to keep diners safe, half the tables in the dining area have been removed. Finally, all taps on the bathroom sinks have been replaced with motion-activated faucets, leaving one less possibly contaminated surface to touch. John Van Trieste, RTI News.
Last week, Taiwan enjoyed a long weekend with the Tomb Sweeping Festival and Children's Day falling back to back. Despite concerns about COVID-19, people took advantage of their time off. That doesn't mean people were being careless, though. At amusement parks, people took the safety guidelines they have been hearing about seriously. On Friday, crowds were out in force at Taiwan's amusement parks, making the most of a long weekend. Concerns about COVID-19 seem to have kept people away from some popular parks. A deputy director at the Taipei Children's Amusement Park says that crowds are about 60% smaller than they were over the same long weekend last year. Still, part of the reason the park may look empty is because people are practicing social distancing as they've been told to. Another reason is that this year, more people have decided to spend this long weekend on Taiwan's scenic east coast. There, another park, Hualien's Far Glory Ocean Park, is packed, although packed with people wearing surgical masks. The park's chief manager says the park welcomed 3,000 guests Thursday and expects as many as 5,000 to come Friday. As the pandemic continues, Taiwan remains cautious but far from paralyzed. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Health Minister Chen Shizhong says that people who break the government's quarantine rules will soon face harsher punishments. Chen's comments came as the number of people subject to a 14-day period of at-home quarantine surpassed 46,000. Chen said Wednesday that government has a zero tolerance for quarantine rule breakers. Two people were recently caught on camera out and about when they should have been in home quarantine. They may not take the COVID-19 pandemic seriously, but the government certainly does. These two are just examples. There have been many others across Taiwan called flouting quarantine rules. Some have even tested positive for COVID-19 later on. To protect everyone else, the government has decided to get tough and introduce harsher punishments for rule breakers. Health Minister Chen Shizhong says anyone caught leaving home quarantine will be sent immediately to a designated quarantine center. Those caught outside while awaiting testing for COVID-19 will also be sent to one of these centers. Rule breakers will also be denied the financial compensation offered to those who follow quarantine rules. They will have to pay extra for food and accommodation, and they could also be fined up to $1 million, depending on how long they were out. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. A Taipei high school has opened the city's first center for training people to fly drones. The COVID-19 pandemic has done little to dampen the excitement at Taipei's Taipei Senior High School. Not only is the school open, it has also just launched Taipei's first training center for flying unmanned aerial vehicles. The school has even shown how drones can help keep the disease at bay. One drone shown off at a recent demonstration at the center broadcasts messages telling students to wear surgical masks, wash their hands frequently, and keep a safe distance apart from one another. The demonstration also included drones doing somersaults in the air. One student at the school found flying a drone exciting but difficult. He thinks the technology is amazing. School principal Jacob Chen is encouraging students from other schools to attend free classes at the center and learn about the art of flying drones. 
The center aims to help students use drones as a window into the rapidly changing world of artificial intelligence. Shirley Lin, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our show today. For any comments or suggestions, you may write to PO Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan, or you can email us at rti at rti.org.tw. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye. Um, has a uh, contract with social media, including Facebook, Light, and uh, Google, and Yahoo. And uh, when we release our fact check to debug misinformation or disinformation, uh, they have different functions. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Taiwan Fact Check Center was jointly founded by Taiwan Media Watch and the Association for Quality Journalism in July 2018. Summer Chen Huimin, editor-in-chief of Taiwan Fact Check Center, said her center also sends media alerts to debunk disinformation and she urges the public to verify sources of information via their website or the website of ITCN. And our guest today is Ms. Summer Chen. Summer, can uh-huh. you first tell us the function of Taiwan Fact Check Center? Mm-hmm. Uh, Taiwan Fact Check Center has a contract with social media, including Facebook, Light, and uh, Google, and Yahoo. And uh, when we release our fact check to debug misinformation or disinformation, they have different functions. For example, for Line, we will uh, provide our fact check to the people who uh, sent us the claim. And uh, for Facebook, it will uh, reduce the distribution of the disinformation. And for Google, it has a claim review. So when you do the Google research, then uh, Google search, then you will get our fact check uh, in priority. Mm-hmm. How do you get your funding? Mm-hmm. Uh we follow the code of principle of international fact-checking network. That means uh, for our financial, we are independent. So we get our funding from uh, some company. We do the fundraising from the companies. And also, uh, we, we get the service fee from Facebook and the Yahoo. Summer, you as Duke University, one of the best universities in the world. Mm-hmm. The Duke Reports Lab found out that there are around 226 organizations in 73 countries specializing in fact-checking, but very, very few are in Chinese, which is used in Taiwan and China. Now, we have one here in Taiwan now, Taiwan Fact-Check Center. 
-hmm. that shows the importance of uh, the founding of this organization. Can you tell us more about this? Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's pretty interesting when we debug the disinformation about the coronavirus uh, because lots of uh, misinformation or lots of uh, disinformation are from China. So uh, during this time, we, we can, uh, the misinformation we debug, some of them are from China. And also, uh, lots of them are related about China. So uh, we are not only uh, defense the battlefront of uh, information in China, but also we help the other uh, fact-checking organizations around the world to debug the disinformation. During this time, we sometimes we will get the uh, information from the International Fact-Checking uh, Alliance. Uh, they ask us for help to to read the Chinese or to uh, to get to collect more information for for their claim. So we will help them to debug information, uh, disinformation in other country. And who do you work with normally? Mm -hmm. oh, the International uh, Fact-Checking Network. It's like a protective umbrella for all of the fact-checking organization in the world. IFCN, it uh, collaborates the fact-checking. Uh, I, I think there are 65 organizations from around uh, 45 countries. Um, we work together. Uh, so, for example, during this time, the Italian or the American has more serious uh, situation. So some of the disinformation are from Italian or from, uh, are related about Italian or about the U.S. So uh, we will ask Italian uh, fact-checking organizations help to help us to debug the disinformation. And this uh, this information, mm -hmm. do you share this type of information with Chinese-speaking community? For example, uh, people in Hong Kong, Macau, Singapore, or even in China, you know, uh, those mm -hmm. who really want to know the real facts. Yeah, I think some of our audience are from Asia countries, including Hong Kong, Macau, Singapore, and even uh, from Australia. So we can we can find our audience are from other Asia countries, from other Chinese speaking communities. Taiwan Fact Check Center has become more and more important, especially after fake news or disinformation uh, regarding the coronavirus outbreak has increased in the world and here in Taiwan as well. Now, how do you verify the sources of fake news? Mm -hmm. uh, we have two ways to uh, verify the uh, fact information. So uh, one one is traditional journalism. So we are just like a journalist to do the interview. And also we learned the new skill to verify it, like a fact photo and a video and um, to, to trust people or to trust the users um, by some uh, technique tool on social media. You're listening to Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Today I'm speaking with Ms. Summer Chen, Editor-in-Chief of Taiwan Fat Check Center. 
to trace someone, do you also make use of Google Maps, for example? Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Uh, for example, when we when we are going to verify the the video, we will try to uh, see uh, what's the restaurant or what's the store on the vi- in the video. Then, if we can read the name, then we can use the Google Map to locate uh, what happened or which place, where is the video from. So that's how we do the verification. We use like Google Map to to locate going on in the video. For the public, that's for you people in the media, but for the general public, how do you think that they can verify sources of news to determine if it's fake news or real news? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we also do some uh, digital literacy, especially at the outbreak of coronavirus because the misinformation is bound, it's just lots of them. So we hope it's not us to do the fact-checking, but all the audience, the public, do the fact-checking checking also. So uh, we will teach our public how to do the fact-checking. For example, like use, how do you use the uh, image reverse? And we teach people how to use that. And also, we will do the digital literacy. For example, there is a very uh, malicious uh, message. It say, uh, receiving important message, go shopping and the stock for one month, uh, go stock the supply for one month, and the go uh, withdrawing all your money from bank. That's pretty uh, malicious. We will teach the audience uh, when you receive this, the information is that it's very important, but it's, you don't know where it's from. It's not from media. It's not from the government. It's not from anyone. So you, you don't believe them because you don't know where it's from. And also, the information didn't have complete message for you. Like uh, it suggests you go shopping. However, he didn't know, didn't say why, why you need to do that. So when you receive information like that, you just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. But but unfortunately, lots of people believe that. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people still fall into that trap. Yeah. Now, Summer, some interesting fake news that happened recently related to the coronavirus, including mm-hmm. uh, many corpses to be cremated in Taiwan exceeds the national crematorium capacity, and also news about Taiwanese military forces infected with COVID nineteen. Some mm-hmm. fake news encourage people to rub sesame oil under the nose circulating on social media so could you tell us more (laughs) yes um we we have already uh had 100 uh, fact check about the coronavirus so we can have a time timeline uh at the beginning there are lots of uh misinformation about uh, coronavirus for example it's like a remedy or uh, some of them are cures i think because of at that time people just panic and and we don't know uh what coronavirus and how do we present it so there are bunch of false information about that and most of them are from flu 
uh, before it was uh, the name is the flu remedy. Uh, for example, you can put an onion in your room. The onion will turn to black because it absorbed the flu uh, virus. But now it's turned to um, coronavirus. Uh, it just replaced the name. And following that, we debug that of conspiracy because I think uh, everything is unknown. So people will believe a conspiracy. They don't just believe the wash your hand and the rolling mask can help you. They just want what what's going on, what happened, why why everything becomes this. So people will fear um, the conspiracy at that time. And a lot of news they are mixed. Uh, academic science research and the conspiracy. And the, actually, some of them are just false information. The, we get help from uh, Science Media Center Taiwan, and uh, they help us to do the interview. And uh, we just lack of medical experts to help us to review the academic paper and debunk them. And we want people to get uh, true information uh, not just conspiracy. We need a true scientific information at this time. And following at the end of February, uh, there are a series of malicious message. The message said Taiwan was losing its control and uh, um, there are a bunch of um, misinformation and including fake news and fake uh, uh, government statement. And uh, so at that time, we are not only debunking them, we also teach people how to, how to do the digital literacy. We also published uh, media alarmed uh, to warn the, uh, the Taiwan society. It's a very malicious message. We need to watch that. And uh, recently, uh, because uh, Europe and uh, American the situation is become more severe, so there are more information about uh, the in for what's going on in foreign country. So we are working with our IFCN uh, members to debug that. And also this time we found China was run a propaganda, so we we debug uh, a series of. This information said, uh, like Italy appreciates China uh, very much, or or the virus is from Italy earlier than from Wuhan, or the virus is from America, uh, not from Wuhan, just like this. So it's also a series of disinformation we we see and we debug it. So. Really, I think for our listeners, I think you have to check your sources. Mm -hmm. Do not just believe messages or news that's sent to you. So mm -hmm. you may visit your local fact check center. Uh, that's your advice, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, we suggest that you can go to IFCN, International Fact Checking Network, or a Point. Uh, there is a database uh, released by... IFCN Alliance. Until now, we collect more than 1,500 uh, fact checkers from all of the IFCN members. So you can check the anything you want on the database.
And we've been joined today on the phone by Summer Chen Huimin. Summer Chen is the editor-in-chief of Taiwan Fat Check Center. And that's it for this week's On The Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.